Hannah and I leave in six days to go back to Germany. We spend roughly half of the year there. Hannah is Jewish. She's a Holocaust survivor. When she was seven years old, her parents put her on a transport out of Germany to England. She never saw them again. She learned subsequently that on May the 3rd, 1942, they were put with other Jews in the back of a gray truck in Kelmno, Poland, and the truck was driven to the forest, and by the time it got to the forest 20 minutes later, they were all gassed to death. So Hannah's parents are among the six million that perished in the Holocaust. And you can imagine some of the challenges that that brought to her. And it was in the midst of working through those challenges that she came to faith in Christ as the Jewish Messiah. And 15 years ago, God began to lead us to go back to her home area of Germany, the Eiffel. We didn't know it at that time, but he began to lead us back into a ministry of reconciliation. And this ministry of reconciliation keeps growing. It started off Jew-German, and it's still that. But it has become also a ministry in the reconciliation of the various Christian streams of the church. So we encountered a little bit of that this morning in our morning prayer. So that's a little bit about us. We are made for community. And when we don't have community, something foundational in our being is lacking. How is it that we are created for community? Well, we are created in the image of God. Who is God? God is a community. God is a community of persons who are in relationship with each other. You cannot be created in the image of God without being created for community because that's who God is. That's God's nature. Community. And the persons of the Trinity relate to one another in awesome ways. They submit to one another. They honor one another. They yield to one another. And that's how we are created. We are created for relationship. And so because of that, Christian community often to us feels very attractive, very desirable. Our own nature leads us in that direction, and the Holy Spirit leads us in that direction. Having been created in the image of God, our first parents made a choice that was just a very awful choice. They chose to go away from God and go their own way. They thought they knew better. And so they were created for this fellowship with God because God's purpose in creation was to create a being that had the capacity to share fellowship with the Trinity. In other words, the Trinity was fellowshipping with each other. They wanted to include us in their fellowship. So we were created to live God-centered lives. That's the normal life, God-centered life. That's what we're created for. But our first parents made the decision that they knew better. And so they chose to replace the God-centered life with the self-centered life. So the original sin of our first parents was self-worship. Rather than worshiping God, they worshiped themselves. Rather than relying on God, they relied on themselves. And so the self-life was born. And the self-life left our first parents guilty, that's true. 
But it did, unfortunately, far more than that. It left them deeply damaged. Sin damages. Sin does damage to the human being. So every one of us are twisted. Like, an, ever seen a car that's been totaled in an automobile accident? It's bent and twisted and malformed and broken. That's what we're like. Now, we don't really know that so easily. Why? Because everybody around us is the same way, so we think it's normal. We think brokenness is normal. But we are damaged, and we're damaged because of the effects of sin on us. So here we are. We are attracted to Christian community. This feels really good. So we, we get an, our initial experience of Christian community. We connect with other brothers and sisters. We connect with the beauty that's in them. We connect with what we receive from them. And this feels really good and wonderful. That stage of Christian community, that initial stage, has been called pseudo-community. Why pseudo-community? Because we're not yet in touch with reality. We're not yet in touch with the fact that not only are we damaged, but the other person is also damaged. We're not yet in touch with that. Now, a part of Hannah and my journey has been ships. George, what on earth does that mean? You know, we spent 15 years on ships. I don't know if you've ever heard of Operation Mobilization, if you've ever heard of the ship Logos or the ship Doulos. For 15 years, we led that ministry. And we would typically, Logos, in the first years when we had one ship, the Logos, and so Logos would go every autumn as far west as we could get it without going into the Mediterranean because we had new teams that would come from the OM conference in Europe. So we would have a conference in Europe after the summer campaign, and all those who would come to the ship would get in vehicles and drive out to Kuwait or Iran. In those days, it was the days of the Shah or um, you know some other place where we could get the ship up there to pick them up. And what we would typically do when we got a new group of people, let's say 70 people, because Lagos would take 140 people, we had 140 people from 20 different countries. So, you know, the old people that are leaving would get into the vehicles and go back to Europe, and the new people would come on the ship. And the next morning, we would have our, our daily devotions together, and we would get all the new people, 60, 70 new people, would go around, tell us your name, tell us what country you come from, and tell us your first impression when you see the ship. So I still remember Kathy from Canada. She stood up when her turn came and said, when I first saw this ship, I thought this must be what heaven is like. 140 people from 20 different countries living together, serving Jesus together. This must be what heaven is like. That was at 8 o'clock. <laughs> at 9 o'clock... Kathy reported, along with everybody else, to the personnel director, and she got assigned to where she's supposed to work, and she worked in the, in the galley, which is serving the tables in the dining room. Now, if you want to connect with human selfishness, get involved in serving food and responding to people's 
thoughts and demands, etc. And within one month, Kathy was in my office wanting to go home. She thought this ship was the worst place in the world. All these people, so terrible people. I don't know wherever they came from. I want to go home. Now, what was the difference between the ship being you know, heaven and the ship being awful and she wanted to go home? What was the difference? Damage hit damage. Damage hit damage. That could be called the second stage of Christian community, chaos. So Christian community starts with pseudo-community. Why is it pseudo? Because it's in unreality. It's wonderful. It's like heaven. The next stage is chaos. Damage hits damage. So as we go deeper into relationship, our damage hits the damage of the other person. Now, when our damage, when my damage hits your damage, what am I going to do? I'm going to blame you. It's all your fault. We're having conflict. It's all your fault. You know, I grew up with all kind of different terminologies that ended up not being very healthy. One of them was, you make me mad. You make me mad. So if you make me mad, the fact that I'm mad is your fault. I'm not responsible for the fact that I'm mad. You're the one who did it to me. You make me mad. So when damage hits damage, what I do is blame the other person. Chaos. So this is the normal way that relationships unfold. As we are in that situation, if this is Christian community, it might sound awful, but it introduces us to the cross. And it introduces us to God's way of dealing with the self-life. By the way, let me go a step back, just one step. What we have just described is one reason why one of the most wonderful benefits of Christian community is that it is an awesome place for preparation for marriage. Because you see, what I've just described is what happens in marriage. So courtship can easily romanticize marriage. We haven't yet gotten to reality. So we're thinking about marriage as solving all of our problems. I used to say, I haven't said it in a long time, before Hannah and I were married, I had this image of what it would be like. I would wake up in the morning, and I would say to her, breakfast. You're all processing that. <laughs> what actually happened is that we got married, and Hannah woke up in the morning and said, breakfast. <laughs> and I thought, it wasn't supposed to be this way. <laughs> so Christian community is actually a fantastic place 
or preparation for marriage. Why? Because we're introduced to the reality about which we are speaking. Now the self-life, brothers and sisters, is in place. When we first come to Jesus, the self-life is in place. What is the self-life? The self-life is self-worship, self-confidence, self-centeredness, self-will. All of these self-words that we have express the self-life. Now, the self-life and the Christ-like life or the Christ-life cannot exist together. So when Christ came, he came to give us a new life. Now, let me say something about guilt, because we're talking here about discipleship or apprenticeship. The Western church, for centuries, I'll try to say this gently, because you might not agree with me, you don't have to agree with me. The Western church for centuries has been absorbed with the issue of guilt. Guilt is very real, I'm not by any, in any way suggesting that guilt is not important. It is very important and very real. But what Christ came to do was more than re remove guilt. So if we have this idea that the, way, the reason Christ came was to remove guilt, we haven't got the full gospel. Because there are all kinds of people who think that guilt has been removed, but as one really godly woman, you know, a really godly woman, she's with the Lord now, remember her saying to me one time in a church where I was ministering, there are a lot of people here who think they're saved, but when you get to know them, there's a lot of saving yet to do. <laughs> so what is that all about? What is being saved? The picture we have of salvation is from the Old Testament, the picture of the Exodus. So the Exodus, the salvation in the Old Testament is three stages. The delivery from Egypt, that's stage one, that's equivalent to the removal of guilt. Then the training in the wilderness, and then the entering of the promised land. So the deliverance from Egypt, deliverance from bondage, deliverance from the bondage of sin, then the training in the wilderness. What was going on in the 40 years of the wilderness? The formation of Israel. They were you know, going back to making golden camps. They were complaining about Moses, complaining about the food, doing this, that, and the other thing, rebellion of Miriam. This was the training in the wilderness, and then, of course, the entering of the promised land. Now, Jesus came to bring us into the promised land. What is the promised land? It's new life. What Jesus came to give us is Christ formed in us. The life of Christ is in us. We are living the life of Christ. The Christian life is about the person I am becoming. So the person I am becoming, the essential of that is the self-life must be put to death. And this new life of Christ is accessed through the cross. So the cross of Christ must become a part of my experience, not only a part of my theology, a part of my experience. So we've got just one Bible verse there in your notes. But this permeates the teaching of Jesus. It permeates the teaching of the apostles. If any man would come after me, or a woman, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. 
And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the Christian life is a process of us choosing moment by moment, day by day, to allow the cross to have its effect on the self-life, dying to self. Now that sounds hard and painful and unappealing, but here's the appeal. As I choose to allow the cross of Christ to put to death my self-life, the Holy Spirit replaces that place with the living life of Christ. And so what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose the self-life? The scriptures tell us the self-life leads to death. Or am I going to choose the life of Christ? That is the life that fills me with life and meaning and joy and purpose. That's the life that we experience this morning in the morning prayer. We experience Jesus in the midst of us. But now our challenge is we can't be in morning prayer 24-7. We have to go out from morning prayer and live in our own experience by faith the welcoming in of the cross that the self-life might be dealt with in order that we might be filled with the life of Christ. So what does all this have to do with Christian community? So we start off pseudo-community. We're not yet in reality. We go deeper with one another and we hit. Damage hits damage. We learn from Jesus how to allow the cross to have its moment by moment, day by day, year by year effect in our lives. And we are brought to the third stage of Christian community, emptiness. What is emptiness? Emptiness is a place where I surrender the self-life. And in Christian community, what it means is I no longer demand you to be the way I want you to be. I give you the freedom to be who you are. And I love you just as you are. Now, I am looking forward to you allowing Jesus to do a work in you. <laughs> but I'm also looking forward to allowing Jesus to do the work in me. So just as I give you, I bless you to be who you are. I no longer demand that you are the way I want you to be. I bless you as you are. Emptiness. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has said this awesome thing, some of you read this, that in Christian community, I do not relate directly to anybody. I only relate with Jesus in between us. What does that mean? How do I do that? Well, this is what it means. If I relate to you directly, I, I learn things about you I don't like, and I want you to change. And, I, you know, if you keep doing it, I, I think I'll just tell you right now that you need to change in this area. <laughs> when Jesus is between us, then I relate to him when I look at you, and I learn to apply what he thinks about you to our relationship. I learn to pray for you. 
I learn to give you mercy as I need mercy. I learn to give you grace as I need grace. You've heard me say before, Hannah and I in our marriage, if, if I think about our relationship, the person that we owe the most to in our relationship is the Indian Christian leader who married us. He was originally a Sikh. You know, they're the ones that wear the turbans and have beards and they should be carrying a dagger. Sikhs, they're the Sikhs. They're the warrior caste. Also really good business people. And Brother Oak saying, when we were married as part of the, <laughs> you don't call it the oath, do you? What, what do you call it? <laughs> yeah, part, part of the commitment you make. We had to commit to praying together every day. So you say, well, gee, that sounds pretty strong. Have you done it? <laughs> well, no. But, you know, I bet we have 98% of the time. And I also promised to love Hannah, and I haven't always done that either. So I'm going to tell you a story now. This is all about Christian community. Very soon after we were married, we were on the Logos, and we, we were in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong, if you know about Hong Kong, it's on the southern coast of China, the British colony in those days. You know, there's Hong Kong Island, and then there's Kowloon, and right in the body of water in between them, the ships anchor, and we were anchored there. And Hannah wanted to go, go ashore because, you know, I was the leader, so I was always busy. And I wanted to go ashore too. Well, I told her, right after lunch, we'll go ashore. And, you know, we didn't get ashore until about three in the afternoon. And we, we went ashore, and um, my idea was to go to some nice place and get a drink. And then I wanted to sit in one of the hotels and prepare my message for the next day because the next day we were having a pastor's conference and I had to preach to the pastors. That was my plan. Hannah wanted to go up on Hong Kong Island. Hong Kong Island, there's this big mountain on Hong Kong Island and there's a cable car that goes up. She wanted to go up on top and look around. So I said, well, I don't have time to do that because I've got to go prepare for my message. Well, that led us into a time of chaos. And I finally agreed to go with her, but I was pouting. The adult child was in full blossom in me. And you know, that's a whole nother subject, the adult child. I'd like to talk to you about that, but I won't right now. And anyway, I, I, was, I, I went with my body, but with my heart, I wasn't there. And I, of course, punished her, you know, how we can do that, with not, not verbally, but just my attitude. It was awful. Adult child. And so we got back on the ship, and it came time to go to bed, so it was time for us to pray. We actually promised that we would pray in the morning and pray in the evening. So all of a sudden, it's time to pray. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, let's see here. I'm totally out of fellowship with my wife. Now I'm supposed to pray with her, and tomorrow I'm supposed to be preaching to the pastors. I'm completely out of fellowship with my wife, and therefore I'm completely out of fellowship with Jesus. So what am I going to do now? Well, I think probably the best thing for me to do is admit that I have sinned against God and sinned against Hannah and asked for her forgiveness. So anyway, that's what happened. Now, 
That sounds good, doesn't it? There were a lot of other times after that. <laughs> this wasn't the end of the process. It's still going on. <laughs> Megan has lived with us. Don't ask her any questions about that. <laughs> so have I made my point? Jesus in between us. This is the power of praying together. Because when we pray together, the minute somebody irritates us, pray for them. What is that doing? Bringing Jesus in between us. If we get a chance, pray together. What is that doing? Bringing Jesus in between us. When somebody irritates us, we give them grace. What is that doing? Bringing Jesus in between us. Now, this has got to go from behavior to being. So let me tell you the really encouraging thing. As we live as apprentices to Jesus, we become increasingly the kind of person who does that. The kind of person that gives grace. The kind of person that doesn't go into anger and blame somebody else. The kind of person who shows mercy. The kind of person that can care for people in their bad behavior. Because bad behavior is typically an expression of the needs of the other person. So I got another story. Before the ships, we were in India, five years in India, and what we used to do, we used to get trucks, we used to buy three-ton trucks in England, bring them to Belgium, and have them rebuilt there, and then we would drive them all the way to India. Now, again, those were the days of the Shah, so you could drive to Iran, but there was a time when I wasn't going in a truck, five of us were hitchhiking out to India. So we hit, you say, well, George, how could you do that? We were in our 20s. This was not a problem. What was it? What were all the concerns about? We were hitchhiking to India, five of us. So we're hitchhiking, and as we're hitchhiking, there was one brother with us. He was English, by the way. He, he was a dear friend, and this turned out, this is not the end of his life. His life is glorious. He's with the Lord now. Anyway, there's one brother who's with us. And he was an absolute pill. I mean, really. He was just, it made the whole journey so distasteful for the rest of us. And so we got to Yugoslavia, and we were staying in a hotel because, uh, you know, it was cheap there. So we decided to stay the night in a hotel. And I decided we needed a team meeting, and we needed to talk to our brother about his behavior. So we had this team meeting, and I just shared with him, your behavior is just making it miserable for the rest of us. He broke down weeping. He said, you know, the last thing I did for the organization, I was a failure. The thing before that, I was a failure. Now I've been asked to go to India and do things. I'm going to be a failure again. And I just, I, my, my, the whole story of my life is a failure. And he just started pouring out the torment of his soul and weeping and weeping and weeping. I learned something. I was in my 20s. I learned something. When people are obnoxious, that is often a cover-up for the pain that is within. So as Jesus teaches us, how to live life, and as Jesus is formed in us, 
What does the scripture say? We bear with one another. We bear with one another. And the things that once were hard to bear don't become hard to bear anymore. Why? Because Christ is in between us. And in the name of Christ, we're bearing those burdens. So we've talked about three stages of Christian community. Now we get to the final stage, which is genuine community. So what have we got? Pseudo-community. It's unreality. We haven't yet hit damage on damage. Chaos. Damage is hitting damage. Emptiness. The cross is dealing with the self-life. And the resurrected life of Christ is being, is replacing it. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need. Genuine community. We are created for it. If we don't have it, there is a foundational part of our being that is lacking. It is costly. But the cost is so infinitely worth it. It is the foundation of Christian marriage. Christian community begins for those who are married with marriage. For those that are not married, it begins in other ways. God has his ways of providing that for us. We need one another. We have the privilege of sharing our lives with one another. The Christian life is about the person I am becoming. And as I increasingly become like Jesus, then my experience in Christian community will be healthier and healthier and healthier and more and more mature. Christian community is the place of healing. Why is Christian community the place of healing? Because healing requires truth. You know, I... Um, still remember the day when I was in a doctor's office, cardiologist, still remember that room. There's no windows in the room. It was in this room. And this doctor said to me, you have a bicuspid aortic valve. Well, thank you. I didn't know that. It's nice. <laughs> and the question is not whether or not you will have open heart surgery and valve replacement. The question is only when. And I have just made you uninsurable. So be sure you pay your insurance premium. So I thought to myself, I don't like this doctor. I want to go to another doctor. I want to know why I'm tired. I don't want him telling me that I need to have open heart surgery. Who is he to tell me that? So I went to another doctor. This other doctor said... <laughs> You have a bicuspid <laughs> And the question is not if you will need open heart surgery, but when. I thought, I don't like this doctor either. What is the point? The point is, I had, by the way, that surgery 19 years ago. 19 years ago. And if I had not had that surgery, I would not be on this earth today. So what is the point? I needed to hear the truth. So that's true of all of us. We need to hear the truth. But it's not easy to hear the truth. Christian community provides a context for us to be brought face to face with the truth about us. 
and to be brought to that point in a context of grace where we are loved and accepted and cared for. And as the truth more and more surfaces, then the, we, the thing that's causing the truth, the areas that need to be healed, have the opportunity to be healed. So rejoice. Christian community is a place of healing. Okay, praise the Lord. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us in one another. I thank you for the incredible gift of the church where we have been joined with Christ in his body and therefore joined to one another. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us. We acknowledge our brokenness. We acknowledge the damage that the self-life has brought to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come for us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for taking our guilt. Thank you for the way you taught us how to live life. Thank you for the healing that takes place in your presence. Oh, Lord Jesus, transform us into your likeness that we might be the men and women that carry your likeness and your message into a lost and broken world. We entrust these sacred matters to you now, Lord. We pray, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.